Hello and welcome to Intrepid Times, your home for narrative travel writing with heart. I'm Nathan Thomas, and alongside my co-host Jennifer Roberts, we take you behind the scenes of some of our most popular travel stories, get you to meet travel writers, and help you discover how you can share your own travel stories with the world. Hello and welcome to Intrepid Times, the travel writing podcast. I'm honored to be here with Pierre Nerandara. Pierre is a travel writer, author, explorer, tour guide extraordinaire who has one of the most incredible stories. The more I've learned about your story, the more excited I've been to have this conversation to explore your perspective, your travels, your writing. So take me through it. It begins, I believe, in Bangkok. And one of the early highlights was you becoming one of your country's youngest ever best-selling novelists at the at the young age of 14. If I read somewhere that the publishers couldn't believe that you were actually the author <laughs> um, of those books. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, Nathan, and also for the incredibly flattering introductions. I, I only hope to live up. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've had a, you know, a lifelong fascination with storytelling and literature and the ocean, which in hindsight has seemed to permeate every crevice of um, my work, whether it, it seems on paper that I have a very scattered uh, background and resume, and I've worn a lot of many different hats in, in various industries, but storytelling is, I think, the backbone that ties everything together. And so I, I did start off as um, Thailand, at that time, Thailand's youngest English writing author. I remember I was I think 14 or 15 years old when I went into uh, meet with the publishers who at that time, you know, they had published the Harry Potter series, all the big YA books you could imagine, everything I grew up loving and reading in Thailand. And they sat me down, this entire boardroom full of uh, female editors, and they asked point blank, like, so did you write this manuscript? And I, I was so confused at that age because I was, I was like, well, who, who else would have written it? You know, of course I did, um, only to realize because they had never had such a situation come about. So it was new for all of us and, and a very exciting time in the literary world in Thailand as well. And after you had the success with this book, you, I want to go back into what drove you to write at such a young age and, and that spark that began your journey as a storyteller. But before we do, after that moment, you ended up, I believe, in Hollywood for a while as a mm -hmm. as a scout looking looking for the next crazy rich Asians, and then, <laughs> and then for many years in Africa. Yeah, so I, I did. I went from um, writing children's books and to actually, I initially wanted to work in publishing and then found myself in the film industry instead, working primarily in representing book to film um, rights and literary clients. So being on the other side of the industry and representation, which was really, really fun for a while. Then I went over to um, producing. So I worked at Sony Columbia Pictures and then this company called A Major Media, which was the very first Asian American um, driven production company as their VP of film and TV uh, and then eventually chose to go freelance the the storytelling and the 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 creative calling was just too strong to ignore and then have spent the past few years bouncing around a, a lot of time in Africa um, writing stories set in primarily southern Africa and South Africa and yeah and then we can talk about the you know the underwater photography and the expeditions and all of that as well <laughs> I'm I'm excited to to explore all of that. So let's begin then with that. You're you're just barely even a teenager, growing up as I understand in Bangkok. And in Bangkok, yeah. You you had a story in your head that you wanted to tell. Like take us through that moment. 
Yeah, I, I love that you asked that question because I think a lot of people just ask, oh, you know, what was your inspiration? And, and in reality, it was that I was a only child living in a house in the middle of Bangkok. Um, it wasn't a place where you could, you know, just ride your bicycle down the street to see your friends. I was quite far away from them. And so I didn't really have much company. I was alone with my books. Um just reading voraciously. And that was my form of escape because I feel like nowadays I have a very different relationship with Bangkok now, but wherever you grow up, I, I think everyone can relate to this feeling of, of curiosity for the outside world, of feeling stuck for wherever you are, of wanting to get out, you know, that cult adventure. You want Hagrid to show up on your doorstep and take you to Hogwarts. Like we all have that. And so that was what I really struggled with. And at the end of the day, I would remember the, the feeling that certain books would give you, right? That sense of wonder, that sense of magic. And I wanted to really share that feeling and instill it in other people um, and recognizing at the time that there were, I think, no, at least in, in Thailand, there were no books about mermaids, apart from, you know, The Little Mermaid or Old, old Fairy Tales. Uh, and there were definitely no books with people of color at the center stage. So I I remember I, in, in, my, in my children's books, there's like this fictional fantasy world that I created and everyone's mixed race. Everyone in there is like, it's populated by not just mixed race people, but also, you know, elves and nymphs and mermaids and mythical creatures. And I read somewhere years down the line that sci-fi and fantasy is where you it's actually the easiest to put people of color in there because it was like trying to like grapple representation so in hindsight it's really interesting i think to extrapolate and to kind of analyze why i was driven to the stories that i was um but its core i think is kind of instilling that sense of wonder and awe in in the audience and sharing that that sense of wonder and awe that's that's so something that you connect with as a travel writer i can see that's so evident in the work that you do now in the photography, <laughs> uh, the diving. Was it there from the other side of the desk when you were in the business world? Yeah, I, it always has been, I think. And I don't know if you've read, um, Dr. Keltner is this professor at UC Berkeley who does a lot of research on the science of, of awe and wonder. And he has this phenomenal book called Awe that came out that looks at it from the scientific perspective and like why it is that we seek out these emotions. And i I realized actually relatively recently that everything that I do, the storytelling, it is to inspire awe. It is to kind of pass on that feeling onto other people as well and to stoke the magic that is in the world because I think it's so easy to lose sight of that, especially the older you get. You know, you get bogged down by life and your your job and your career or in your office and um, it oftentimes requires some sort of call to adventure or some massive event that will shake you out of your complacency and your comfort zone and inspire you to rediscover that childhood wonder you might have lost. So not perhaps as much as you have, but I, I have some of my own experience being on both sides of the desk as a author mm -hmm. and writer. And I've also had something of a career in publishing and as an editor at Intrepid Times. And one thing I've struggled with is turning off that sort of commerce business brain when it comes time to write, like stop thinking about the audience, stop thinking about how this is going to be launched, just actually just write what I want to write and what I think is true. Have you, you, you clearly have judging by your success and your output managed to solve that problem. How? Um, I, I don't know what solving is the, the term I would use, but maybe still grappling with it. Um, I, I definitely, I would say, so my, my mother was a, she, she's a, a tremendous businesswoman, um, very, very great at business and at managing people. And then my dad, my father was, you know, the classic romantic artist uh, who would, I grew up to him with him telling me crazy stories of literature. And at that time, I didn't know they were 
fiction. I thought they were real. <laughs> so I would grow up with these mythical fairy tales um, that he was telling me. And I, I definitely am an intersection of the two of them. So uh, it's, it's been, I, I've, you know, I've been on the writing side, the representation side and the agency. I've been on the producer's war side. So I've been at the studio level where people have been pitching me stories and I've had to say yes or no to them. Um, I think all of them inform the others. So the business side helps with when you're writing to keep it in mind, like, okay, like what will sell? Uh, and then vice versa, you know, if you're, if you're also writing, you can, um, or if you're also in the business side, you can bond with better with creatives. But I think at the end of the day, it's really, it's a full spectrum view of the, of the creative process, um, if I may. And yeah, it, it's, I'm very, very grateful for all the opportunities that I've had to tell those stories in different formats. And some stories I think are mine to tell, whereas others I would really like to help others shepherd through because they are not mine. And I want to be, you know, a friend of mine calls it, I have a seat at the table. I want to pull up a chair. And so that's kind of the way that I've, and I, I feel like you might relate to this too as a writer and an editor. <laughs> I, I hear that. And, and one of the wonderful things about that editor side of the table is you do get to participate in the creation of stories that you yeah. would not tell, you would not be able to tell. Your yeah. story is is such a fascinating one. And when it comes to that travel part, it's very different than mine. I think we, we're both called to travel for that same reason, that awe, but through some of the aspects of identity and background that you alluded to earlier you, your experience has been very different in ways that I couldn't imagine uh, aside from reading <laughs> your work of course um you began a TED talk you did recently with uh, a wonderful and attention grabbing opening you said I always thought backpacking was something only white people did yeah <laughs> I mean it, and it, especially growing up in Bangkok you could imagine right like the the banana pancake trail and the foreigners flying in with their, you know, um, their their rucksacks and their elephant pants and their Red Bull tank tops. And it's it's such an image. And and I think Bangkok, as it came out as statistically the most visited city in the world or something, which makes sense. It's a starting point. It's like the introduction to the backpacking space. And so I always I, I was very, very fortunate to grow up traveling like my family loved to travel. My, you know, we, we would go um to, to all these random places in the world that had just opened up. And my mom was very curious in that way. But it was only in my 20s that I think it really took off for me where I started traveling on my own and had this like different relationship with travel of instead of going for a week or two, I would go for a couple months and actually really, really soak in and get lost on the road um, and falling in love with travel literature. But it's funny now that I, I it took a very long time for me to call myself a travel writer. I think I had a severe case of imposter syndrome or even a writer, to be honest. I still, <laughs> so many of my friends in, in the film industry had no idea that I even wrote because I just kept it like in private. And they when they would fi find out, they'd be like, what? You, you had these best-selling children's books and you've never talked about them? And it's just because I had such crazy imposter syndrome about it. But it makes sense because travel writing is really the intersection of everything I think I've loved in my entire life, all culminating and coming together. So talk us through this new one. Well, I guess not new now because you're in Africa for a few years. I think you're back mm. in the U.S. now. Yeah. So I'm here now and then I go back to I'm, I'm moving around for a bit for work and then I'm back in southern Africa um, towards the end of the year. So talk us through this chapter, this travel chapter in, in Africa, where you have found yourself now as this leader, leader of tours and this, this travel writer of your experience. How did that leap come about? 
So it all started with um, this expedition known as the Sardine Run. So in 2018, I went, I actually had gone to Africa multiple times before for just various trips, but this was my first um, crazy diving expedition uh, that I embarked on. And it was a week long in a place in South Africa known as the Wild Coast. It's like this very remote region in South Africa that I went in for to experience this natural phenomenon, which is known as the Sardine Run. So it's where you dive with sharks, whales, dolphins, diving birds as they're hunting bait balls. So imagine like the craziest thing you've seen on Blue Planet and with the, the in terms of biomass larger than the Serengeti. And that's what I was swimming with. And I was at that time, I was still working in Hollywood, like a full time office job. So I flew down, had this this one very, very vivid memory I have was you're bouncing around on this little rubber boat for the entire week, basically on the ocean. And I had, you know, my camera set up and we, we found this bait ball and the guide, this, this, this like, you know, chain smoking South African guy was like, OK, on the count of three you know, one, two, three, and you jump and he counts down. I look over and there's this massive, massive shark right next to the boat feeding. Like its mouth is open. It's chomping down on these fish. And I turned to him and I said, now? And he looks at me and he threw his like dangling cigarette. He's like, isn't this what you paid for? <laughs> and I remember being like, all right, I guess he's correct. So I jumped in, um, you know, against all my best defenses and my, uh, my, uh, my fears. Because I'm actually given the worlds that I found myself in, I'm actually quite a nervous person. I'm like naturally very anxious and scared. I think that's just a symptom of being maybe like an only child and a girl. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, I, I jumped in and it was the most mind blowing experience I'd ever had. And after that, it was very, very difficult to come back to the office job and to just sit and do the same thing over again. Like it was that call to adventure. So flew back I think two weeks later I'd quit my job strapped on a backpack and then like hit the road <laughs> and the rest is history so that's your your super villain origin story diving into yeah the, exactly yeah definitely crossing the threshold <laughs> and so you hit you quit your job hit Africa with a backpack and if I understood correctly from your writing you you traveled alone mm -hmm. a southern um Africa backpacking trip and my goal was kind of to to examine the tropes around travel literature I think a thing too is that a lot of uh, people unfortunately think of Africa as this, they think of it as one country. They think of, you know, Africa like, oh, you just went to Africa. Um, I specifically focus on Southern Africa. A lot of time was spent in South Africa, but also outside of, you know, Cape Town and the classic tourist hubs and really looking to subvert the norms of what it means to be a modern day traveler. So uh, back then it was really interesting. Um, you'd be in very remote regions uh, in, you know, wherever it was in the world or in Southern Africa. And it, I remember being on the back of this pickup truck and like driving and there was a bunch of other travelers uh, on it with me and they, they were all, you know, European or North American and all the kids would be running after us and they were shouting like, Muzungu, Muzungu, which is like white person. Uh, and then they saw me and they would have no idea what to call me because it just wasn't common to get an Asian traveler in that part of the world. I think now it's changed drastically because I've gone back to, you know, Africa several times and I, I, I stay there for a portion of the year and now they always assume I'm a bit like a Chinese businesswoman there um, so the relationship between Africa and and the world and, and Asia has also changed over over the past few years too one of the tropes of travel literature we had um Tim Hannigan on the podcast a couple mm. of weeks the author of travel writing tribe and one of the ideas that he explores is that the traveler versus the travelee and the traveler yeah. is as you said traditionally European, often aristocratic British gentleman mm -hmm. with a pipe. And the travelee is the African or the Asian. 
And they yeah. are often you know, perhaps romanticized, perhaps spoken of in a condescending way. And you've yeah. subverted that in a lot of ways with who you are, with your perspective. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure if you've read, um, Binya Vanga Wainaina has this amazing, amazing essay called How to Write on Africa. It's like a satirical, bitingly satirical piece on Granta that makes fun of essentially all the tropes that you would see in people writing on Africa, you know, and it's like, it, I think he had one line that was so, so memorable that said something like, if you, you know, if there was an African on a cover of a book, it's either a starving child or Nelson Mandela. So it, that's his kind of tone. And he's this, is this gay Kenyan writer who I adore. Um, so that was kind of what I hope to, to look at. And also, you know, we travel literature, the more you read, the more you realize you haven't read because you start off with the classic big names in travel literature. And then you realize that there's so many more that have been swept under the rug or pushed to the side. And like, I want to read a story, not just about an Asian girl in Africa, but like a black guy in Asia, <laughs> or there's the, that one about, um, I think the, the man from Togo in the Arctic, you know, like an African in Greenland, like what are those narratives like? And, and there's, I think so many layers underneath travel literature to excavate too. And then, you know, someone like Pico Iyer talks a lot about this as well. So if you wanted to give people maybe a, you, you mentioned Pico Iyer, I know uh, Intrepid Times co-editor Jennifer Roberts is a big fan of mm -hmm. his. He's a, he's a dream guest on the podcast one day, Pico, if you're listening. Uh, what other writers inspired you maybe early on in your journey, maybe later? And were there maybe some, yeah. you read some writing and you're the most, you're like the example of the parody that you mentioned, you're like, no, this is not right. I need to correct the record here. <laughs> I mean, I, I did my fair amount of, of research on travel literature um, on in, in all capacities. So like, and, and the more I read, the more I realized that I hadn't read and didn't know. So it's like, it's like every, they say that, you know, that line about traveling, the more places you've gone, the more the list grows, right? Like your bucket list will never end or the places you want to explore. Um, so I did mention Binyavanga. Um, there's a ton of, the South African literary scene is super, super exciting to me because there's so many new voices that have previously not been represented. Um, and then there's female travel writers. Like I love Rebecca Solnit. I just like think her prose is so freaking beautiful and then this is actually i don't know if you can see it from here here this is my this is one of my travel literature bookshelves so there's like a whole set of um authors here that i is like there's that south african authors like ingrid yonker zaka zinda andre brink etc etc i love justin fox and then moving to the side there's like fact like ralph potts is a favorite of mine marcia de sanctus who's i think phenomenal uh, there's Bill Finnegan. There's a bunch of other stuff here. Anyway, so there are a lot of authors. Like, <laughs> I can like give you a full on list of separated into categories. You know, female travel writing, like more chiclet stuff, old white men, um, <laughs> African <laughs> authors. <laughs> there's so many, and I don't know if you've ever been to the Book Passage um, uh, Travel uh, Writing and Photography Conference in San Francisco, but it's my first time going this year. They've been doing it for, I think, 31 years and met some of the most inspiring, lovely kindred spirits and travel writers I think I'd ever, I, I never thought this place like exi would exist. Um, but Don George is the chair who's like this, you know, OG travel writer and editor. Um, Marcia DeSantis was there, Lavinia Spaulding, Ralph, um, Ralph Potts has gone in the past. Pico Iyer was actually the guest speaker this year with Andrew McCarthy. So it was just phenomenal. Um, also, yeah, Jeff Greenwald, a, a whole bunch of them. <laughs> it sounds like paradise. I, I suppose bucket list would be to to get there next year. It actually not somehow I I wasn't aware of this until I think you yeah, mentioned it, it in an email. Quite, it's quite like an intimate 
gathering. And I, I was talking to, I think I was sitting next to um, Chris Reynolds uh, at the LA Times. And he was like, oh, like, is this your first year? And I'm like, yeah, it's my first year. How about you? And he's like, oh, I've been coming for, like everyone who was there had been coming for like a decade or, you know, a decade over. And I was, I think probably the youngest by like, at least a decade as well so it skews on the older side and just it honestly feels like a family gathering um everyone is so lovely so curious you put a bunch of empathetic word loving travel loving people in the same room and that's essentially what you get that's it's another thing tim hannigan writes in his book that travel writing tribe is that travel writers tend to get on with each other because yeah. they tend to be as you say empathetic curious world loving uh outgoing yeah. probably all competing with each other to tell the best stories <laughs> yeah and there were so many stories to tell and um yeah i had i worked re recently with the editing team at off assignment and was just like floored by how amazing the experience was because it just felt like working with people who just they just got it you know and they were also very literary too i loved your piece and off assignment to the Thank Thai you. woman on the waterfront because there were so many i will include a link to that story with the interview but there are so many layers there layers of identity so just, I suppose a praise would be that you're in um, uh, Seaside Town, I believe in South Africa, and you go and have a massage from a Thai woman. And I believe at first she thinks that you're Chinese and then you start speaking to her in Thai and thinking about the very different paths that both led you from the same place to the same place, but yeah. incredibly different different ways of, of getting there. Yeah, it, it's such a crazy experience, too, because I, I realized I was feeling quite homesick and I was um, living in Cape Town for a while. And, you know, unfortunately, um, they don't get as many Asian people down there as you would in, say, Southern California or in Thailand. And so I was dealing a lot with microaggressions on the daily basis. Um, a lot of, you know, like guys using me how as a cat call or just like feeling very, very out of sorts. And so feeling very homesick, I, I went and sought out a Thai massage parlor and then went in and like got got like was like oh I'm looking for a massage just to honestly meet another Thai person and to talk to them and after this conversation the the masseuse she ended and it was during COVID so she was wearing or post-COVID she was wearing like this a mask so I like, I never actually saw her face I only saw her eyes and at the very end she asked me if I'd eaten and I was like no I haven't eaten because you know you get a massage you don't want to eat beforehand and so she came out of the back with like this Tupperware of Thai food that she ended up giving gifting to me um and she was just like hope you can still handle your spice and then that was it so it was a really beautiful um conversation and a moment that I, I don't think would have happened if we were in Thailand no it was it was a very moving moving story uh, I won't spoil the ending for folks but uh yeah. encourage people encourage people to read it um so you're going back to South Africa soon is this uh these tours that you lead through immersive expeditions is that your main project right now so i like to joke that i have kind of three or four ongoing careers at the same time for better or for worse i think i just have a lot of interests so one of them is you know writing in terms of the whether it's my a new novel or travel writing as a whole um articles essays the other is underwater photography um and leading these expeditions and the other one is like film producing uh so on the expedition side, I, I've been running expeditions for a couple of years now, um, mostly focusing on big animal encounters, uh, whales, dolphins, sharks, migrating animals. Um, sometimes we'll do land trips. I did one to Uganda and Rwanda last year for the mountain gorillas, but most of them are underwater. And 
was always running it under other people's banners and companies and finally thought it was time to just launch my own. Um, and the goal of, of immersive is that so people know that these trips are, you know, immersive in all senses, right? You're immersing underwater, you're immersing culturally, you're immersing going deeper within yourself and learning more about a destination as well. Um, and we hope to, we always work with local operators. So we uplift the local communities, uh, you know, locals know best, you have local captains. Um, and yeah, like taking people on a crazy expedition that hopefully will stoke a curiosity and an awe and a wonder within them as well. And they can bring that back to whatever lives they're leading normally. Um, and it can alter them in some way. So we have had people come on our trips and come back and like quit their office jobs and <laughs> make career changes. Um, but we also like, you know, it's, it's very, it's very incredible. Cause I used to do these trips on my own just as a for fun to go as a guest. And now I get to facilitate and help and bring other people on these journeys as well, which is incredibly uh, fortuitous and just, yeah, I consider myself very lucky and I'm very grateful for that. Like, I, I, maybe I don't want to speculate too much, but it's like you've, you've received this incredible experience of going on that shark diving and you yourself were inquired, uh, inspired to quit your job. And now you're allowing other people to have that. And through your writing too, you've read these amazing books that have inspired you. And now you're creating stories and novels you said you're working now on a novel on a new novel yeah so it's been it's been a couple of years in the in work in progress I think novel because I have different careers I'm able to kind of dip my toes into whatever happens to be taking off at that time or, or you know and I think also so this latest book um that I've written is um so my uh Jenklo and Nesbitt the agency and my amazing incredibly patient agent um <laughs> but it, it's taken a lot of time because it's set I don't think this kind of book has ever been written. It's fiction, but it, it does chronicle a mixed race Asian um, American woman in South Africa as she's tracing her late mother's journey through the country because she discovers that her mother was actually there during the tail end of the apartheid era as a journalist. So um, she's like following her mother's footsteps. It's a I joke that it's an anti-eat, pray, love. And it's hoping to subvert <laughs> the tropes of the eat, pray, love narrative and also to look at both like the privilege um, and the, you know, the privilege of backpacking, the tropes of backpacking, the journeys you learn, the self-discovery, all of that, um, but hopefully through a new lens and also with some new light. So that's what I've been working on. And I, I'm, I'm so glad it's in a way taken this long because the book has matured significantly from the first draft, which I finished, I think, almost right after I'd gotten back from my big backpacking trip. Um, so I don't think it would have been, if it had been published back then, I don't know if I would have been entirely proud of it quite yet. Whereas now I'm very happy with the draft that it's currently in and, and just getting different reads from South African writer, writer friends of mine, you know, from, from all different shades and colors to make sure that it's accurate and, and also just acknowledging the fact that I am an outsider there. Um, but, you know, like, what does that mean? And how does that look like? That sounds incredible. I'm, I'm excited to read that. And, and you mentioned that the like having maturing as the books matured over the last six years and that got me thinking that these books that you wrote when you were when you were a teenager so long ago and that you kind of you don't mention them sometimes with the people that you yeah. work with in Hollywood do you like I look back on some travel stories I wrote five years ago and I think mm -hmm. I'm just like what like I, I feel <laughs> so disconnected from the person who wrote them do you when you look back on your books or when you people readers write to you, and I'm sure they do because those books were, were huge, um, do you still feel like you can remember who you were when you created them? Can you connect I, to that? I, what a great, that's a great question. Um, I still do get people who write to me from, 
it's funny i had a, a fan write the other day who was like i don't know if you remember me but i came to your third book launch in cosplay i was that elf and i recently made like a I'm, I'm studying perfumery and i made a bunch of perfumes that are inspired by your like children's books like by the ocean sense and all of these things so that was really cool and i i've met actually some adults now, some young adults nowadays that are that you know after a conversation they're like wait are you the mermaid girl? Like, or were you the mermaid, the girl with the mermaid books? I grew up reading your books. So that was, that's always super crazy. But I hadn't read my, my children's books in a long time. And I actually recently was, I don't know, I was like flipping through at home and just curious. And it felt like reading in a way a stranger's voice, but that was my own. And I'd forgotten what I'd written. And in hindsight, obviously the writing style has changed. I think the sentence structure and the way that I phrase things and I've, I've become hopefully a little bit more a little bit better at killing my darlings and not being so verbose but, <laughs> but at essence the themes were still surprisingly like they, they've carried through whether it's about the ocean about you know I wrote about interspecies and and you know like uh hatred between elves and mermaids and that 100% was a symptom of me being a part of model UN in school and you know writing about these international like adventures so it, it's still definitely uh it was very clear that i wrote them um and it was, it was interesting to read them from a you know like a decade down the line <laughs> yeah and you, you look back on them at another decade's time and and have a different relationship with them as well it's like this british author he passed a few months ago martin amos he mm. said something about how you know you have prodigies of music or acting or chess but he said there's no such thing as a writing prodigy because in order That's to write that. you need to have some kind of experience but even at just yeah. 14 you had you had lived you had 14 years of being a human that you were able to yeah. to package it's so strange because i remember when when the books came out and in hindsight now looking at it you know my publishers were incredible at marketing it they they would call me and the, the thai press was like oh thai writing prodigy or you know how did she write this or da 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 and there were people who I remember reading a forum as one does back in the day and, and and it was a Thai forum and people thought that I had used a ghostwriter, which at first I was really, I was like, what? They, I was so hurt. I was like, how could they think? And then I was actually was really flattered. I was like, wow, they thought it was good enough that I used a ghostwriter. <laughs> but it was really interesting. And and I love that because I, I think writing is one of the few careers where you can actually, you get better with age and you do, although I don't know, Pico has this thing where he says that you know, he was so much more certain at a younger age when he was writing. I think Video Night and Kim and Do, he wrote when he was quite young, like maybe before 30 or early 30s. And he was so sure. And now he's not so sure. Like his last book, it was all about, you know, the half known life and the uncertainty of things. So I'd be curious to read my books um, in a decade or two and also to see what I write in those times as well. I'm also, I'm also looking forward to discovering what you write in those times. You're, you know, <laughs> Sounds amazing. Pierre, it's been an honor to, to talk to you, to explore your story. If listeners want to learn more about you, your the three careers, um, where can they <laughs> where can they go? Um, so my website is pierneerandara.com. Uh, um, also, the expeditions are Immersive Expeditions. Immersive does not have an E at the end, so just one E there. And uh, also, I'm at Pierre's Great Perhaps on Instagram, which is where I'm the most active, just photography and writing and updates. Um, and yeah, generally hovering around the travel writing space and always looking for new voices as well. I, I tend to scour around and have a soft spot for the those obscure unknown writers <laughs> just tend to always like like excavating and discovering them. So 
yeah, definitely send me some stuff if people are are keen to share. <laughs> Fabulous. That's what we specialize in. Thanks for listening, everyone. And don't forget to check out our new travel stories published weekly on intrepidtimes.com. See you next time. Thank you.